Hey, if you're loving Creative Mind, check out some of our past episodes where we dive deep into topics like children's book illustration, video game design, filmmaking, and of course the most important topic of all, how do you make a living as an artist? So please hit subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on so you never miss an episode. And check out the show notes for links to our Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube page for even more great content. Well, I perceive that there's probably two things that I see myself as. I mean, I see myself as someone who is more of a producer role. I enjoy helping people be able to tell their story. And I like the process of helping them put it together and then adding the things that I like about art into that. And then I guess I consider myself as a developing artist as well. And when I think about back to my undergrad and looking at how people use art as social change, the ways that I'm trying to create that for myself that are newly being created in the form of video with immersive video and with ways of combining physical movement with dance and visual art. That is artist, radio producer, podcast producer, Ephraim Colbert. And on this episode of Creative Mind, we get deep into the world of what it's like to be an artist in activism or working in the world of social change, social justice, not the volunteering aspect of it, but actually creating the work that is used to promote an idea for social change. And Ephraim really goes into his journey into working as an activist and how he goes about finding work, doing the work, and of course, then getting paid for that work. So here we go as we talk with Ephraim Colbert. You do a lot of activism and a lot of what I would call social work. Is activist a correct term or a term that you would use to describe the work you do and what you do? Probably I would describe it as art as activism. What I mean by that is I try to get involved in issues that I have relationship to or things that I'm also concerned about and see how I can provide my experience into assisting people with their goals of either spreading knowledge to the public or just making there be a larger awareness of what is going on around the world. When we talked before to kind of figure out, you know, the path we're going to talk about, because you got your master's degree here at the Academy of Art in multimedia and communication, traditionally a role for people who want to be on-air talent or producers working in the giant evil world of television and radio, which we all love so much. But you're actually using your power for good. A lot of people have this misconception of activism and creating for social change. How did you get involved in that? During my undergrad, I studied American studies, and the focus was popular culture and social movements. And we looked at how people use art to help push their social issues, whether it was Cesar Chavez and using mural art to be able to bring people together, regardless of the language barrier that they might have had. Because in the grapevine, we had a lot of people from Latino communities, but also the Philippines. So they used mural art to let people know when there was going to be another meeting or looking at the African-American movement in the South and using television as a means to be able to bring awareness of these atrocities that were happening down in the South. And even the use of music in a way that can be something that is larger than just entertainment, but bringing an awareness to young people about these bigger issues with bands like Rage Against the Machine, which is a more of a more recently updated, you sure, know, sure. I guess, version of that. Right. I mean, you know, that band that, you know, I listened to in high school and grew yeah. up on, we're all like, yeah, I, I, yeah, F you, I'm not going to do what you told, yeah, tell me. And yeah. then you're like, 
Wait a second. They're talking about Leonard Peltier. Wait, wait like, a minute. You know, this is this is a history and lesson. Abdul Jabal and like something like that, you know. And that and that's something that you know, it gets brushed over a lot. And for people in art school and people doing media production, we're going to kind of focus a little more on media production. There's that very clear path of I'm going to work in media to make commercials to sell you something and make lots of money or make a movie, and maybe somewhere along the way there's some creative fulfillment. You looked at it the extreme opposite way. What prompted you to do that even before college? Was there a switch or was there something that happened where you went, you know, I want to do something better than shoot dog food commercials? Prior to college, I think it was probably my upbringing. Uh, my mom, she is really heavily involved in the community that she's within. She's also heavily involved in her community at, at a church. So my dad was in the military and I grew up a military brat. And a lot of those spaces when you're living on base are smaller. So you might be in a place where, for example, stationed in somewhere like Germany mm. and like, you know, no one else speaks German. Right. <laughs> so it's like you kind of start to build this bond with people who look differently than you sure. um, or from different backgrounds of the United States than you. And there was kind of a just natural presence of caring for the other individual person. And I think that those values kind of stuck with me even when I was going into college and trying to figure out what I was going to do with myself. I knew I wanted to be able to continue working with communities, whether it was with co-ops or politics or a, a local school. But I also had always had a relationship with the arts, like with drawing, doing videos for my friends who were skateboarding, knowing people who were doing murals and dance. That's when I started to think about, is there a way to connect the two of my interest? It's funny when you bring that up, you're, you're talking about murals, music, performance art, all of these things, the moment you say, well, of course, that's about activism. Of course. Why didn't I think about that? But until you say it, it's like, oh, yeah, that's right. This has been literally standing in front of our face the entire time. Was there someone or, or, or any particular piece of art that you saw that went, oh, this is what I want to do with the rest of my career? I don't think that there was someone or a piece of art, but I think it was my relationship with KPFA when I started working there as an apprentice. Initially, I thought I was going to be doing more, I guess, kind of like entertainment pieces or mm. things that people are used to when they think about communications, like I thought that I was going to be doing like more about like highlighting movies and stuff, but they had a message of really making sure that they were getting the voice of the people who have a hard time getting on air. And, and, and that, I'm going to interrupt you real quick, just so we clarify. KPFA is, is that an AM or FM radio station here in the Bay Area? KPFA is a 94.1 FM radio station in Berkeley, California. It was started by an activist who makes sense had, that we're in Ber you know, Bay yeah. Area, Berkeley, that, that makes total sense. And, and it was the first publicly funded radio station. They stay true to that. So, I mean, with that being the case, I do run into issues with finances, of course, not having any larger sponsors, but a big part of their mission was to try to get other voices on the radio, like regardless of like issues with English, for example. So maybe people from of Arabic descent or people who have English as a second language, collecting their stories. That experience is what I believe probably had the biggest impact of how I could see how it could be used in a way where I could bridge the two together. It's fascinating, but it's also funny when we talk about it. I mean, we're sitting on two microphones having a podcast. And for anybody who knows anything about media, all a podcast is just bad radio delivered for free. And radio is oftentimes in the world of media kind of the least well-paid system. 
the, or the least well-paid out art form, but it is a very important one. But what attracted you specifically to radio? Not a lot of people nowadays go, I'm going to work in radio and talk with a voice like this all yeah. the time. I was, you know, just working my regular server job that most people have when they're either finishing school <laughs> sure, or in sure. college. And on the way to work, I would listen to KPFA and I thought, you know what, I should go see what this is all about. Check it out. Maybe see if I can volunteer. I wanted to be able to get to know more people in the Bay Area. And that was really the drive. And since a lot of what they were talking about in their subject matter, it seemed to have people who were more involved in the community. I wanted to see how I could maybe also lead, either provide my assistance or build better, longer relationships with people. And when I got there, they're like, you have a really great voice. Have you considered being on the radio? And I was like, well, not really, but... I, I, lo I love how all entertainment stories yeah. start like that. I'm going to go in, and I just want to do it. And they said I had a great voice, so I'm yeah. hooked. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> and they were like, hey, well, we have this apprenticeship program. You know, it's about 18, 20 months if you want to check it out. Oh, wow. I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll check it out. And I think what is good about radio that maybe people neglect is... The ability to build stories without there being a visual is very hard to do. Indeed, yeah. And once you can do that, it does make doing videos a lot, like you can kind of apply a lot of those same techniques and maybe make them a little bit deeper and more interesting. Things like sound design with video mm, sure. is something that people who don't necessarily have the background in radio consider. Plenty of videos on YouTube that my friend always talks about. There's plenty of videos on YouTube, but with really bad audio. And are you going to watch a video that looks 4K but sounds <laughs> terrible? Probably not. It's not Every gonna... low-budget indie yeah. film has no budget left over for the crinkling of something. Yeah. And the tire screech and the music. It's like, well, I hope uh, people like a lot of silence and heavy breathing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that, that makes perfect sense when you start looking at it from a production standpoint. Yeah, because it's like that. those sounds, whether people are aware of it or not, are what kind of build a lot of the scenes when you're inside of a movie theater. I mean, horror films rely heavily on audio. Right. Action films rely heavily on audio. Absolutely. It's something that's there that people just don't really think about. Mm. So was there a, a radio bug in your background or was it just, hey, let's see what happens and that was it? I mean, I'm an older millennial, so I guess like most people, you know, like when you were younger, if your parents had like a a tape player, you were trying to make your own like mixes and you would pretend sure, that you right. were a DJ. But I mean, outside of that, it, it was really the draw to just get to know the community of the Bay Area better. And I know that the Bay Area has a long history of, you know, union mm -hmm. workers, social justice. And I wanted to be able to have an opportunity to be able to talk to some of these people, interview them. I, I was able to meet some Black Panthers. That was oh, wow. really cool. And people who just have a history within the women's movement, DXE, and a lot of other people, even if I didn't necessarily agree with everything that they were doing, I thought that their stories were important to share. And so it was cool to be involved in that. So when you were in your apprenticeship, did you pitch them this idea of something that was more social justice related? I mean, I'm assuming that's a bit of their bent anyway, but were you, did you pitch out a show or, or create a concept that you wanted to work with, or did they just throw you in the mix and go, here, time to radio? 
So they really wanted to first have us address who we were and who we were bringing to the table. So they had us writing commentaries and feature pieces to get a better sense of who we were. And The Apprentices have an established show every Friday at 7 p.m. Pacific time that we kind of work towards becoming the full creators of. So it's titled Full Circle. And how it works is it's 20 months because there's a group that kind of is running the, the show as you kind of step into the different roles to get the practice so that you can take over the show. Okay. So for the first six months or so, you're kind of kind of tiptoeing, taking your part in whether it being like um, running the board and operating the board for the program, writing scripts and stuff for the program, and then being, you know, on air talent for the program. And since you are in a group, depending on what you enjoy doing, people kind of pick and choose whether if they want to be on air and you take turns every Friday with what role you're going to play. Oh, wow. So, I mean, this was beyond an apprenticeship. This was the real deal. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to take a moment to plug the school on this. And what then decided you to come to the Academy of Art and focus on communications and multimedia if you already had this apprenticeship going? While I was finishing up my apprenticeship program, I had to, of course, support myself with work and things. And I was working for a nonprofit organization. And at a conference, met a photographer, Shelly Waldman, and she had told me that, oh, you know, I wanted to do a podcast and I brought her by the radio station and recorded. Mm -hmm. And then she was like, well, how much do people make within the radio field? And I kind of gave her the number. (laughs) And she was like, well, you could make like double that (laughs) if you do video or photography. And she gave you a big hug and said, listen, I have some coupons at Starbucks. Let me help you out here. (laughs) And I was like, oh, okay, well, you know. I hadn't really thought about that at that point, but I said, yeah, I do see how that can broaden what I'm already doing. And I can still bring in some of those concepts with the sound design and things that I learned from radio to any videos that I make. And, you know, I was like, well, I'm, I'm going to see what schools are around. Basically kind of the same thing. I walked over to Academy of Arts and took some of the paperwork and then went on the second floor and talked with uh, Steve. And oh, Steve Cotton. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. And I was like, okay, yeah, I think this would be a pretty good fit. I was in between the media comms department and the film department. What I was thinking about was, okay, so I had looked at other schools, and a lot of them kind of work on the theory elements. And that's great to know as well. But from my experience with producing other people's podcasts and like learning how to have to make a budget or learning how to have to kind of fill out like a request for proposal. I was like, I need to know the business side of things. Yeah, absolutely. Because that's where, like, if you can show that to people, they feel comfortable with giving you the money to finance whatever the creative thing you're going to do is going to be. And I was like, I feel like I can get more of that out of the comms department. So that's why I chose Yeah, and that's going to be a big chunk of our conversations. I really want to get in with you and talk about the business of activism. And I don't want to talk down about activism and I don't want to be snarky about it, but there is this idea that when you are an artist, you got to make money or at the very least you need to be paid. And activism for a lot of people on the cursory look, see it as volunteerism. And there's so much more behind it that it takes a lot of money and it takes donations and it takes, you know, people to get paid to do their work. And then understanding how activism works as, dare I say, a business or funding is probably the better correct term, Mm, is super important. And you've really been on the inside of a lot of that. So I really want to break that down and you know help people to understand and creatives understand mm-hmm. how they can get involved in creating for would you say creating for activism or creating for social change? Yeah, I guess you could use it both ways, but I guess creating for social change would probably be a good way of approaching okay. it. Yeah. 
Yeah, so creating for social change, but at the same time, supporting yourself and making a living and, and doing this. So let's take a deep dive into that. When you're making this choice to actively work in social change and to actively be a creative person in that world, how are you going about looking for work? Because for some, for any kind of creative work, there's creative job boards, there's Indeed, there's word of mouth, there's asking, hey, I've got this, I've got a camera, look, I can do this. How does that work when you're thinking about social change first as opposed to creativity? Yeah, so I think that there's some things you have to be kind of aware of, and some people probably are, who work within social change and things you want to probably think about as you're trying to transition into doing the things you want to do and just things to look out for. You know, with working within nonprofit sector or within any of these movements, depending on some red flags to you should be if you are attending meetings and you notice that you're the one that's taking on all the work, <laughs> because a lot of them do start within college campus spaces. So sure. they look for people who are young and who are energized and who yeah. are ready to do things. Sure. And you don't want to overly have your, you be the one that's always doing the work in the okay. end, because some of the older people will allow you to do that. Uh -huh. Also, try to have an awareness of where they are financially. I mean, some of them do just tend to have more money than others or different backing than others, probably because of accounting reasons. Mm -hmm. um, maybe they have better grant writers or things of that nature, but uh, maybe trying to get a sense of where they stand if you're trying to build a career and uh, you don't want to get stuck with having to change every two years because the one keeps losing its right. funding. Okay. Um, and then that age old question of yeah. like, we'd like to hire you as a filmmaker. Yeah. What gear do you have? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So send me a list of your yeah. gear after you send me your reel. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, just look for those things and be conscious of it. It's, you probably won't see a lot of that unless you're volunteering time. So okay. some of you don't really notice until you start to put in some time, but maybe set a limit on how much time you're putting in there and seeing if it's going to go where you want it to go. And, and you talk about time. You said that you were doing a lot of volunteer work. Yeah. How do you balance that? How does the benefit of volunteering other than the benefit of volunteering. Yeah. How does the benefit of volunteering work within this path of being an activist? So the benefit is you get to know the space in which you live in a little bit deeper and within the industry you want to work in a little bit deeper. I mean, being that I came from New Mexico and I've been in the Bay Area for nine years, when I first moved here, you know, I didn't really know anyone. Yeah, I had been out sure. here before because I had been out here for dance performances and stuff. But I was like, okay, the, the only way I'm going to really get to know is by kind of being where the people are. And that, that evil term of networking. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But instead of just like attending like a networking thing inside of like a hotel next to the airport, <laughs> the airport right? it's like, I'll just see, you know, I'll see what's going on as far as like, you know, let's say for example, my interest was music. Every music festival needs people to work it. Right. Whether it's like the grips who are setting up the volunteers. And so sometimes, you know, you get to get in for free for one day and then you work the second day. Mm. Like that's a way of getting to get a better sense of the music industry. Cause you can like hang out by the people who are working the board mm. or doing the sound engineering and just kind of having those engaging conversations with them. Or, you know, if I was wanting to do sports, I mean, there's a lot of colleges out here. Like one way I could get into that is maybe working with PAC 12 or just trying to get in with PAC 12 or, you know, similarly with arts, every gallery opening needs to have somebody be there or be present to hand out flyers about upcoming calendar events or mm -hmm. like about the person whose gallery you, they're showing people 
really enjoy and love when people are willing to volunteer. And then also now you're kind of slowly building a network of things that are within your interests mm -hmm. and getting a better sense of how it works within your city. I mean, we're in the Bay Area. I mean, there's so many people here. You know, I think sure. San Francisco probably has, what, a million people living yeah, in San Francisco? Yeah, I think it's a million Francisco. people now, yeah. Probably like five million coming in every day. Right. I mean, that's a lot of ground to cover. And there is definitely like you have to have like a hustle mentality, I guess, as far as like who you're getting to know. And then as people see you and they start to see your talents, what can happen is they start to be like, hey, like I know someone who is, I can't maybe provide you the funding that you need, but I know someone who needs what you're doing. So then becoming vocal about what you do do, uh, whether it's administration or whether it's something visual, like with video or podcasts. The second thing I did was start to kind of let people know what I do. Having a, not necessarily an elevator pitch, but just kind of like putting it in people's ears and then they start to recognize, oh, okay, yeah, this dude does videos or, you know, she does videos. And right, because there is that need, obviously, in any yeah. kind of social justice, evan you know, evangelizing something, telling people about something. It, it does require something with a communications degree. You need to know how to create and tell your story. When you started moving from volunteer to a working creative within a nonprofit or within an activist program, what are some tips and, and some of the steps that you took and learned along the way that can help people who are also wanting to venture down this path? One of the things that I did was even before completing the apprenticeship program or even before finishing my master's program at AAU is I started taking on little projects. So they weren't necessarily projects that paid the best, but they mm -hmm. gave me an opportunity to receive pay, learn how to deal with clients. And if for some reason it went terrible you know i was hey i'm still in school you know <laughs> right like, like you know it's like the trainee yeah badge. yeah Sorry, I'm yeah here. yeah i kind of had that to fall back on so like you know there was a little bit of grace you yeah, know so sure. it wasn't like the end of the world if i made a mistake or something and so yeah i was fortunate to be approached by people who because there really is a need out there right. for people to be working with audio experience and video experience people who need archival footage for their grantee grantees who want to see what they're doing with their money right. or people who want to collect the stories of the people who are receiving the help that they're providing through their services. There's a need for that. And there's definitely people who have money who can fund you creating that for them. And once I saw that video provided a larger income, I could still do the same, but just a video format I was like, okay, I'm going to do more video over just the audio format. It's interesting you bring that up because, again, it's another one of those kind of, you know, a lot of people say, oh, it's the aha moment. It's yeah. really more of the duh moment. Like, <laughs> yes, you, you know, if you're doing oral histories yeah. or interviews or, you know, like you said, the archival work of, hey, day one it was this, day two it was this, month four it was this. Yeah. That is a job that would have gone to somebody, preferably not somebody just, hey, you with your phone, go right. take some photos. It does require a talented and skilled professional with a creative background to do this well. Yeah. Which again, it's a dumb moment, but it's like, oh yeah, that's right. That that is a paid position. Yeah. When you were looking at this and as you've gone through your career in being a creative for social change movements, how's the pay? To be very blunt and rip the band-aid off. How's the pay? How's that uh, life work from the financial standpoint? My main job is a digital media production manager and like with having the manager total, the pay is pretty good. I still don't know like how long that title will run or how long the grant will run, even though it is funded by um, the CDC. So it's pretty set in stone. It's government funded. So, you know, I always do extra stuff on the side 
just in case, but also because I want to continue building my skills. Mm -hmm. So I don't only work 40 hours a week. I tend to work somewhere more like 50, 60 a week. Okay. I always have something on the side that I'm doing, uh, whether it's videos for someone or podcast editing for someone. I want to keep that going to keep me sharp. So it's not only about the pay, it's also to keep me sharp. So you almost have the, here's my full-time job. Yeah. Here's my freelance job. Exactly. And they're almost kind of one in the same, so to speak, as it's yeah. based. You find that a lot of this type of work is grant-based as opposed to traditional salary-based. Well, maybe not salary-based, but like I work at a brick-and-mortar company or a corporation or as mm -hmm. opposed to, we've got two years of funding. Yeah. Is it more grant-based that way? or, or I would say it is unless it's government-related. Okay. It probably is going to be more grant-based. And some grants, hey, will last like 10 years. You never know, oh, five, 10 years. It depends. But even if it wasn't that and I was working, let's say, something more traditional like television, I would probably still want to do things on the side. Sure. I mean, because... For example, entertainment, movies have right. a start and stop yeah, it's time. A six, it's a six-month uh, hangout yeah. period. <laughs> and then you're not working. Yeah. And, um, you know, I've seen many people be from New Mexico, and they kind of have a small, not large, but people are making movies there. Yeah. I know plenty of people who, that's all they do. Right. And then, like, you know, they're like, I'm on, I'm off, I'm on, I'm off. Yeah. And I'm like, that's not something that I could, uh, that I would feel comfortable doing. Guy wouldn't feel comfortable. Like, plus, also, it'd be the harder to like, mentality. yeah, and harder to manage your money. Really, you know. It's funny. I like a lot of artists. You know, only work freelance until you get old enough. Where it's like, I got a family. Like, oh, yeah. I can't do freelance anymore. It's like this freelance mm -hmm. is great until it's not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and when it's not, it hits you really, really hard. So, continuing down that kind of financial path, most of the projects you're coming onto after the grant's been written. Yeah, or they've had you know certain amount of money set aside for comms or, okay. you know, are already in their budget. So it's not unlike applying for a job or looking for a position and finding, okay, here's the role. Here's the pay slash salary. That's pretty much established by the, at that point. Yes, it's already established. And it's almost like kind of knowing how certain things kind of come within seasons. So I guess a good example okay. would be like, if I was to be a young adult and I wanted to work music festivals, I kind of know that there's going to be a music festival season, right? Sure. It's kind of a similar thing with nonprofits where they have their seasons of when they want to display and showcase what they've been doing for the year. Ah, okay. So it's, sometimes it's in the spring and sometimes sure. it's like within the fall or, you know, kind of like around the holiday season right. because people just want to know like, you know, the good that they're doing with their money, right? Yeah, so that's kind of yeah. like, once you kind of get a sense of like those time periods, you can kind of get a, a sense of like, oh, this might be a good time for me to be able to start looking for some extra stuff on the side. It's, fun, it's funny you mentioned it. there are seasons to this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. Hey, you're yeah. in a giving mood. The project yeah. needs – we're at 90% completion, everybody. Right. Get right. those tax write-off checks in yeah. right about now. Come yeah, on. Yeah, exactly. Help us out. Or it's like we're throwing a gala, right? right. <laughs> we want to show some videos for the gala. Sure. Or, you know, I mean, this is all kind of pre-COVID because everyone's at home now. Yeah. But, you know, if we weren't at home, people would be going to conferences yeah. for whatever the cause is. Usually within the spring i know that's a big thing out here in the bay area yeah. you know like if people want to go to a nice city they want to be able to be outside enjoy and then they can use their business card and have yep, lunch yep. and stuff you know so yep. like, lots of white yeah. wine and, and canapes and all that yeah. fun stuff yeah if you have a sense of the time period there's there's always little things you can start doing even if you're like a newer producer within radio or a video that people would want to have created for their events even just for an event yeah one of the projects that you are currently on is you talked about it briefly, you know, you're working on a project via the CDC, and this is the Capacity for Health podcast portion of the project, correct? Yes. So talk to us about how, you know, we're on a podcast and we're going to key on podcasts even more because everybody knows 
what a podcast is. There's literally a million of them, two million now that COVID has started. Right. And they're kind of a, oftentimes a labor of love, but people are starting to realize that, you know, it is a great tool to mm-hmm. get your message out. Hint, hint, nudge, nudge. Insert yeah. sponsor here. But more importantly, it is a great tool for evangelizing a movement and talking about something. And it's become a better way to tell a longer story. How did that project come to you? And what are you doing with this in the CDC slash social justice or social betterment? So to start, Capacity for Health is part of the Asian Pacific Islander Health Forum, so APIAHF. They've been in the Bay Area for 35 years. Capacity for Health, part of their program, focuses primarily on any of the HIV epidemic. So they were funded through what CDC calls the CPN Network. And the CPN Network highlights is kind of a series of different organizations like Capacity for Health located around the nation. They have their little like, you know, North bubbles, Northeast, South, you know, Southwest, Northwest, Midwest. And each of these groups handles educating their community on how to end HIV. My boss, Jamila Ship, I believe was probably the one that presented this to CDC as something as a way of being able to communicate on a larger scale how to address the HIV epidemic by highlighting what these different partners and different parts of the nation are doing as guests with the two hosts for the show, which is uh, Tori Cooper and Christopher Walker. Tori is living in D.C., she works with the Human Rights Campaign. Christopher Walker is an activist living in Dallas, Texas, and they have been working within the field of HIV for several years. And so they kind of go over what the CDC has created called the Four Pillars. And I'm going to feel bad if I can't remember this, but it's it's a ed- very educate, important events, okay. you know, things of that nature. Okay, and, it's very important information that yeah. oftentimes get overlooked. Yeah. If it's in a, well, I mean, and, and we're joking, right. we're laughing as like I can't remember, it, but it's because so much of this stuff happens on a pamphlet, right? That you look at for not even half a second yeah. and you throw it away. Exactly. And so, like a way of boosting that interest is really bringing on people onto the show who are part of the community, know what people's needs are and how people communicate, and making it entertaining. You know, and so this is something that's really new for the CDC. I mean, they're a government sure. funded thing. So a lot of what we. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. play CDC yeah, and yeah. entertainment. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, a lot of it's like they really enjoy what we're doing, but they're also kind of like, whoa, they're kind of like, I never thought of it that way. There is a clearance process that can kind of delay the release of <laughs> sure. things, but it's new to them as well. And I mean, so far, they're kind of liking where we're going with things and like really addressing like, hey, you know, this is. I'm talking to sex, you know, at the end yeah, of the day, absolutely. Like, you know, it can't be just a cut and dry pamphlet sure. show. Sure. Like, um, and, um, it's going to get a bit randy whether yeah, you like it or not. Exactly. I mean, we are talking about, you can't yeah. skirt your way around some topics right. uh, very, very well. It's like the person and the thing did the stuff with the guy. Yeah. The other thing did that. <laughs> hey, just want to take a very quick break and say thank you for listening to creative mind. If you have any questions or thoughts, let us know. Click on the show notes for our email or head over to anchor.fm slash creative mind to leave a voice message. Again, looking at it from the, you know, separating it from what you're doing and the importance of what you're doing. And I'm not separating it in a negative way, but looking at it as, uh, hey, I actually want to be involved in this. And I feel that I can bring something to this. And it is a career for me. You mentioned there's the CDC, which is a government organization, another nonprofit organization, different niches throughout. then a different concept that you drill down from there that 
it seems like with not a lot of searching, there are very clear, or maybe not clear if we're talking about government, but paths to follow to find roles and projects that fit your talent. Yeah, it, it might not be as easy to find like if I was doing like a search for jobs. Sure. Like, <laughs> I think that's the kind of thing that does make it It does difficult. sound like a weird Google search. Yeah, yeah. Like how do I... <laughs> Some things that maybe people could start looking into if they were looking into that field is maybe searching off of communications first, also attending events. I mean, a lot of communications these things, first. That's a like maybe like a communication search instead okay, of searching okay. like videographer well, but, or searching. But more, you, you were talking about how this is you know getting yourself out there. Yeah, it really is. Like I was saying about the whole idea of like how there's galas at the end of the year mm-hmm. or in the springtime there's conferences. Some of those conferences are free. Right. Attending okay. the conferences, getting to know or listening into the people who are speaking there and then pitching an idea to them. Mm-hmm. Sometimes if you just pitch an idea to people, they'll bite and they'll be like, I, yeah, I do want to do that. Oh, really? So you're yeah. actually doing a lot of, you've seen people go, I've got this great idea. It just needs the right home. For example, I attended a job fair, and this is kind of when I was uh, before working at Capacity for Health, and I was only freelancing, and I needed some extra money. The job fair was not about anything that I had any interest in to begin with, <laughs> but I went anyway. Okay. And okay. I said, hey, you know, there were some organizations there that were doing cool stuff, and I said, hey, do you guys need any videos for anything that's coming up? Do you have any conferences coming up? Do you have any galas coming up? Are you trying to highlight any of the people who are receiving your services? You know, here's my card. And three weeks wow. later, they'd be like, hey, yeah, we, we need a video for, for having this thing that's coming up in April. Can you do it? And here's how much we'll pay you. And then you kind of go back and forth about the pay. Right. That, that's a whole other podcast yeah. series. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that works sometimes. Really? That's kind of a fascinating way of, of selling yourself. Yeah. Like, hey, I know you're here for something else. Yeah. But you don't have something I can provide. Right. Like, I've done that with um, even one job fair where there was a police department and firefighters and i was like do you guys need any videos for any of what you're doing sure, absolutely. and they were like oh we just hired someone the fire department to shoot videos for us and i looked at the salary i'm like wow that's a lot of money like it was like yeah in the six digits and i was like and it wasn't even that hard of a job you, you know it, 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 <laughs> yeah it's funny I, I worked on a project for a friend that was a recruitment video for a police department and when we were researching Hey, what do police recruitment videos look like? I'm sure yeah. it can't be all how. Here, look. Here's how we arrest people. Yeah. There's, there's got to be a story. There's got to be other things. But let's yeah. look into it. And we were all shocked at the, the budgets, the mm-hmm. quality, the just breadth of topics they covered. It was like, man, I kind of want to get in yeah. to just making these videos. This is kind of cool. Yeah. But no, it's, it's interesting how you're mentioning that. It's mm-hmm. like, well, you can start looking at going, well, there's something there that I really get to tell the story. So to finish up with the capacity for health, because I think that one is, you know, extremely important and it's a podcast as well. What's that project look like? I mean, give us the broad strokes of what that type of project looks like. So people can kind of get an understanding of what a project within that type of world ends up as. The project was presented to me as an idea, right? So even though that there was a contract created and they kind of knew what they wanted to do, it was still kind of like, we need your help helping us get to making what we want to do. So they wanted to create eight episodes, have some content that can be live on social media to mm-hmm. promote the episodes. Um, they had two guests in mind, but they didn't know how much training they needed 
for familiarity around being hosts. Sure, the, the media training, the technology side, yeah. the technical directing side. And that's kind of where the training I received as an apprentice from KPFA, but also from Academy of Arts came in, of like helping them turn these ideas into actual episodes and stories, how to reach out to guests, like showing them how to create emails for reaching out to guests, oh, wow. scheduling with guests, using a doodle to schedule with guests, contacting guests as publishers or their agents or whatever. And then script writing, kind of showing them, giving them examples of how to write a script. And then, you know, meeting with them. There's a lot of work done when someone just has an idea in the post-production stage. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, because it's not, not, a lot of things aren't established yet. But mm. that's also the time where you can kind of put your artistic flavor into it too, since there isn't necessarily like a set thing that they want. You mm. can have a lot of yourself inside of it as well. And then the production part of it, once you have those things established in the pre are it's pretty easy sure. and then you know you just want to establish something that can be consistent so you're not spending a ton of time each episode on how you do it in the post so a lot of time spent in the pre-production the production once you have that like establish a way you want to do the production itself and then establish the way you want to have the post-production look so that that should flow easier so right now we are in the production stages okay we spent a couple of months really familiarizing the host with the ability of, you know, hosting a podcast. Sure. How we did that was we used Capacity for Health's Facebook page and we did what was called a watch party series. Mm -hmm. And so this is a live event that we would have usually the Wednesday in the middle of the month. And it was almost a way of screening like who could also be potential guests for the episode. Oh, by wow. Seeing Interesting. like how charismatic yeah. they were. Sure. So they would come on as well and they would just kind of be only about 30 minutes. We'd have create segment video pieces in between for transitions and then have them speak with the guests and get a, a good sense of like, okay, this person might work well for this episode or they might not. So some of the watch parties would have five potential guests, right? Okay. But in the end, we're only going to have two that would be on the actual podcast. Sure. So not everyone can go for a full half hour or an hour. Yeah. And if you've listened to my podcast, it's a long time to you know listen to somebody babble. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And being able to babble intelligently is a very hard skill to develop. It is. And so, yeah. you know, that does take a lot of time. We were also doing that because certain things had to be released through CDC's clearance process. Mm. So for each episode, they represent different demographic groups there was a series of maybe one to five CDC experts that you know specialized around addressing sure, HIV right. within that population. Mm -hmm. So they had to look over, for example, the questions that we're using in the watch party as practice to see if they liked the questions. Oh, wow. They wanted to know more about the guests that we might have by looking at the guest bios. So that since that would be taking time anyway, it keeps them active by practicing and instead of so that they didn't feel impatient about waiting for us to start the actual <laughs> recording dates. Sure. Yeah, we're starting the recording actually this month. So the last week of September, and then we're gonna probably be recording two episodes a month. We're using Zoom right now. Because okay. no one's living sure. in the same area. Yeah. But I mean what you've described is the exact process of creating a full news or even scripted television show yeah. for the CDC in a very niche concept where you're actually helping somebody as opposed to, you know, a bad series of reruns, which is, is again, as you're explaining to me, I'm going, duh, but it's kind of fascinating <laughs> that you've been given this opportunity or you have yeah. found this opportunity and been handed the reins to, well, I'm going to produce a television show that happens to be Zoom and podcast as, as mediums and outputs are constantly changing you know that you've produced a show mm -hmm. with people as your job and it's actually in something that you 
are passionate about and feel good about and yeah. in the end is actually helping somebody more than, you know, the next great big reality celebrity chef. And what was also cool about taking on this project is, you know, if I was doing television, that might be the hit of the year and then people forget about it. Mm. You know, Netflix has so many TV shows. Like, you probably spend more time trying to find something on Netflix than <laughs> you actually watch it, right? <laughs> but I was like, this might have the potential to have a lifespan that goes beyond me. I mean, it's government. They're going to probably have the videos for who knows how long on their YouTube page, plus the podcast, the audio version on their Spotify or their iTunes for quite a long period of time. And I thought that's what I want to be involved in when I think about things that I want to do. I want to think about the longevity of the project because that's a way that I can leave a legacy that I created for myself. I think people think of legacy as always being a financial thing or a structural thing. Like, you know, you get a lot of like wealthy older people who like have their name, for example, on a bridge sure. or like, you know, they have a statue, yeah. but being involved with someone that might have um, a mental impact or someone thinks differently about something is more important to me than like a structure that it's like phallic in nature, right? <laughs> like in DC or something. Sure. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I mean, that kind of goes back to your, true belief in activism and, and enacting social change. Yeah. Why I was so excited to have you on this was, you know, when we talked about this was, it's very hard to meet somebody who actually cares, myself included. And, you know, that's why I'm asking you some of this stuff in a cynical way, where it's easy to hold up a sign. It's easy to, you know, send $5 to, you know, charity of your choice here. Yeah. But to actually go, well, I'm going to use my talents that I've invested in and built and honed to actually enact social change. That's pretty fascinating. And I mean, kudos to you. I mean, I don't know many people who could, who would actively choose that. How does that translate then? Or more and more, I should ask, with that being said to where you are enacting social change, how do you perceive yourself as a creative? Well, I perceive that there's probably two things that I see myself as. I mean, I see myself as someone who is I guess more of a producer role. I enjoy helping people be able to tell their story and I like the process of helping them put it together and then adding like the things that I like about art into that. And then I guess I consider myself as a developing artist as well. I mean, outside of working with nonprofits, I do have the things that I'm interested in. And when I think about how, when I think back to my undergrad and looking at how people use art as social change, the ways that I'm trying to create that for myself that are newly being created in the form of video with immersive video and with ways of combining physical movement with dance and visual art. That's kind of where I'm going artistically. I'm glad you brought that up because that is one of those art veins that a lot of people have a hard time understanding. It's beautiful when we're, and we're talking about dance and movement yeah. and public art. Everyone understands a mural. It's, yeah. it's, it's easy to understand. And you're working with a project that incorporates dance and visuals and light and mm -hmm. projection. Tell me about that because that seems as far away from social yeah. change, but at the same time, I don't know. You tell me. How does it play into this the world of what you've created for yourself? Yeah. So... I haven't necessarily made the two connections yet, but I have been lucky to work with a really great dance company out here called Raw Dance. And I'm close friends with Katie Wong. She's the artistic director of Raw Dance in San Francisco. 
And uh, she was presenting with a project at Salesforce Park, which is the park above the Salesforce Transit Center. You know, it's about four and a half football fields long. And within the park itself, you have this different diversity representing California's variation of diversity of plant life that stretches from one end of the park to the next. Yeah, it's a gorgeous, beautiful park. Pre-COVID, she was presented this opportunity to create an art piece up there. And then COVID happened and we had to rethink a lot of things and like, how are we going to do this now with like limits of how many people can meet in person? A lot of the things that were changing that Gavin Newsom was updating us on as far as like people meeting in groups. (laughs) We both knew that we wanted to do something that wasn't just what you would see within the space of a theater where, you know, you have like the actors on stage and then like there's lights and stuff, but that's just kind of like separate from Mm -hmm. each other. We were thinking of like, is there a way to combine them? but also within the realms of what the park has available and what they can do and will allow based on sure. like having all of this like diversity of plant life that it didn't want people to step on. Right. And like, you know, all these. <laughs> so we were really moved by the idea of immersive experiences with art, with visuals and audio and lighting. So I guess what I mean by that is imagine if you were stepping into a space where you sit down and it's like an IMAX theater that, you know, shows you the planets, like a kid. You might do that at like some type be of here, discovery. Be here, static. I'm going to present yeah. something to you. Instead of that, how would it be to maybe walk through a space and as you're walking through and as you step, you're starting to see stars where you're stepping oh, wow. or the planets going above your head as you're moving through the space was kind of what we were thinking. That includes you into the piece itself. You're not separate from the piece. And with there being a total of four stations, we wanted to have those type of elements where people could be involved in at each place if possible. And if not, then we wanted to combine the two where the dancers were involved in the visuals that were also being presented. Oh, wow. So you have like yeah. a 2D element, an oral element with the audio, mm-hmm. and then the actual human beings interacting within the space. I mean, that's big time art stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the real heavy duty yeah. concept. And again, that's publicly funded or, well, excuse me, not publicly funded, but that's that's funded by different individuals. Right. They're like, they're part of the San Francisco department of you know the arts or something like a long titled yeah you know (laughs) the show was titled portal and the whole idea was kind of like you know we're coming back to this space now you know we've been separated from each other for quite a while because of covid coming back through the space of having a place that has a lot of traffic and maybe moving people from their mundane day-to-day to to like putting them into somewhere that's completely different Mm. so there's a lot of like neons a lot of colors being used Layered colors, duo tones, stuff like that within the piece. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, and this is kind of a, a fascinating thing for, for me to, to witness. And I saw some of the video and it's intense. And it, it's one of those things where, I mean, do you find yourself going, well, I never want to pick up a sketchbook or I never want to draw again. This is it. Is this the, the path you want to head down creatively? Is this the most, um, most fun you're having? I think it is. That is what I would want to do. And I think I would also be able to. I can see how you can tie those elements into things that address social change. So for example, you can incorporate them with site-specific protest. Mm. So um, you could incorporate, they do have devices now, I think like, for example, like Lightform that scans a space and then shapes the video projection around sure, it. Sure, yeah, the, 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 the so, 3D projection stuff yeah. is intense. I've seen several instances of it around the world, and you're like, yeah. this is the craziest thing I've ever seen. And this is just a slide projector. Yeah, This is great. 
So like how you can incorporate projection mapping into the piece and then how you could incorporate that around the movement of something could be a way of changing how people approach us protest. Sure. So yeah, I don't know. It's still something that I'm kind of, it's a technology that I'm still kind of newer to. So, and it's constantly changing and even like it's price of like purchasing some of the items are changing. So that's what I'm kind of learning right now and trying to think of ways of how that can be funded. I think it could be probably take the similar approach to how I have been taking with, you know, just having a elevated pitch to people about how they can make their, their events bigger and how, mm-hmm. how they can make their protests bigger or, and then. And more immersive and yeah. more, and on the creative side. Yeah. So it'll probably be contractual, but even with the Capacity for Health podcast, which will be coming later this year, titled When Is It In? We had thought about even presenting in a way in DC where we could have those elements, but that was before like the Delta, you know. Sure variant started and all this COVID yeah. stuff which is horrible and sad is yeah. forcing us to come up with new concepts right and new ways of doing things yeah so, yeah I mean who knows what's going to happen with COVID and with you know the last few years things that were kind of niche like podcasts and ASMR and 3D audio may become the the new yeah. thing and you know virtual reality and augmented reality which have always been kind of sitting out there going hey play with me I could do something good and everyone's like eh, I don't know right. maybe video game i don't sure now it's like no we're gonna do something really really fun with that to kind of wrap it up looking back now you know looking at what you've created and 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 the path you've chosen and the work that you're doing which is very inspiring from a social justice standpoint but also inspiring from somebody who wants to go to art school and how do i use my gift for something positive not for just students but anybody interested in using their talents for something that can help with social change. Give us some advice on the best way to go about it. I think one thing that comes to mind is a lot of times with when you're within the areas of nonprofit world and if you're coming on as either a employee or someone who's volunteering, people might not talk much. They might not talk about what they bring to the table outside of what they're being told is the task. So I think let's say you're in a space where you are doing the task itself. If there's times that that are appropriate for you to be able to speak beyond what you just do day to day, you can start just talking about what you also do and what you also are capable of. Because I feel like that doesn't happen enough. And sometimes I think artists don't feel comfortable doing that. They don't feel comfortable sharing with others or they haven't learned how to share with others what they do. I know also sometimes people of color have a hard time doing that as well, like not sharing with others what they're capable of or what they're Mm. doing. And I think it just doesn't come natural to some people, but if you can like start thinking about like, hey, just let people know what you do. I mean, I know it sounds like, what, that's it? But I mean, that has led to a lot of opportunity for me just by being more vocal about what I do. Like I'm a videographer, you know, I, I do podcasts as well. Just talking about it in conversational, not not a whole like elevator pitch, but just in conversation. Yeah, almost um, like a, a soft sell yeah, technique, so to speak. Yeah. Also, if you are volunteering, think of ways to move beyond that with the group that you're volunteering for. And if you're finding a dead end and that's all they have to offer, see if there's other groups within the area that are focused on that issue that do offer more you don't want to get stuck and you mm. can you can get stuck in certain roles oh, really? but even if it's not the nonprofit world even like in the business world yeah. sometimes it's harder to transition from up up a ladder some places don't have clear 
ladders of like how to move up to a different position. That's just how they are. So if you're getting a sense of that, maybe move on. Also, but maybe depending on the space, if the pay is okay, but they give you enough time to be able to work on other things, take advantage of that time to work on other things. So the way that I approach work or I think about work is I'm either there because of the pay or I'm there because I care about it or I'm there because it gives me enough time to focus on the other things I do care about Mm, and think beyond the 40 hour work week. I mean, volunteering is still your time. So, you know, there's still time that you're, you're using, but you know, while you have the energy, because as you get older, you have less energy to do that. (laughs) But if you have the energy while you do, that's the time to really start building up uh, those contacts, building up those practice contracts. Because you don't want to just go from like your first opportunity being like $10,000 and you haven't even had like a lot of time or experience. Because I know people who get that. Sure. Yeah, we've all met people and we've asked, how the heck did this person get the job? But then they mess up. Right. And then they can't get any more work. Yeah. So it's like, if you can take on some of those smaller projects, or if you work at a job that allows you more time off, you know, take smaller projects so you can build your experience so that when you do get to those bigger contracts, people see your work, they know you know how to do it. And more of those bigger contracts come and come. Perfect. I'm going to ask you two questions. One, we're going to do a a wrap up of where we can find you. And then I'm going to ask you another question that may go into this. It may not, I may save it for something else, but it's a, I want to ask you a question, but I want to make sure we record it because I'm sure there's going to be good answers there. So tell us, I mean, you know, the work you're doing is great. And unless you're looking for that particular work, it may be hard to find. So where can we find you online and what you're doing? Yeah. So that's kind of the thing. I mean, it's like I have done a lot more than what's on my website, but maybe because of how the contract's written, I can't have it on my website. Oh, bummer. You know, it lives on their website, you know, depending on how that was set up. I mean, I haven't been on my personal website in a long time, so I got to look it up real quick. Oh, geez. Okay. Well, how, yeah. how do people how do people contact you then? Um, you a better way. How can people reach out to you? You know, for the work. You can reach out to me on my LinkedIn page, LinkedIn or, or, and or Instagram. Instagram. Yeah. Okay. So All right, let me set you back up for that then. Also, my okay. Here's my website name. Okay. All right, I know it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the same way. It's like my website. Oh yeah. <laughs> that's a thing right yeah. <laughs> i forget about it every time the, the squarespace bill comes like yeah oh yeah <laughs> yeah yeah they're just kind of like oh all right say it. this is all extremely inspiring for people both on the activism side and the creative side so how can people find you if they want to reach out to you know throw some work your way yeah they could find me at uh ephraim colbert.com so just my name.com or on Instagram, it's ephraim.colbert.rec, so R-E-C, record. Yep. And then my LinkedIn is just my name, Ephraim Colbert. And- okay, awesome. We'll put all that in the show notes so that people can find you as well. Cool. Ephraim, a true pleasure and really, really enlightening. It's been a great conversation. And yeah. uh, hopefully uh, you have inspired people to actually go out and uh, use their power for good for a change. Yeah, nice talking to you. Awesome. Thanks for having me on the show. Awesome. Thank you. From radio to podcasting. From something that is free to something that you're actually producing, what has changed or what have you seen that's very different as far as best practices people need to think about when they're thinking about, okay, I want to do a podcast as a paid project. What are some things to think about? And you mentioned, and you talked about that kind of already, and maybe it's just being repetitive because I mean, that was kind of fabulous how you were talking about, you know, producing it like a show because you are producing a show. But uh, let me give you a better question. With your time in doing actual radio, actual you know, broadcast journalism and broadcast radio, and then working on a produced piece like a podcast, which still for a lot of people has kind of a niche 
free thing and now it's a lot more corporate sponsored and becoming a, a valuable deliverable do you see that this is going to be something you're going to be doing a lot more of or is it a type of project that you choose over another and when you pitch out projects i think now it's probably one that i'll have to choose over just be more selective on who i choose to work with on a podcast really? because what I've learned from working with podcasts is that you really are kind of building a relationship with, I'm not the host. So I'm building a relationship with the person that's the host. And we're going to be spending a lot of time together. Interesting. Yeah. Like a lot of time. Sure. <laughs> so, and when I first started producing people's podcasts, I hadn't thought about that. And at one point I was doing three different podcasts and it was becoming very difficult. And I started to realize that some of them, we didn't really vibe well together. Which is not uncommon in any yeah. creative, even non-creative field. Yeah. And also really kind of getting a sense of, you know, I, I like the podcast jobs where it is, we're both being able to bring our value and we both kind of re respect each other's artistic creative abilities. Because I have been in some where I'm just like, they don't want to see any of like my perspective on how it's going to flow. They just, this is how I want to do it. I'm hiring you to just do this. Hey, if you need to pay the bills, you'll take it, you know, but then it doesn't feel like you. It just feels like it's their thing. And so it's a little bit harder to get through because it's, you don't see yourself in it. If you're working on a podcast where you can see yourself in it, then you feel good about it. And the partnership that you have with the person who is the talent or the voice. Why should I care? Like, why would people listen to this? What's the demographic you're trying to reach? Like, who is your audience? What is the, the vibe you're going for on the show? How do we co-create this? Like, is this a co-creative project or is this just a project that you're wanting me to create your style like this? Those are the type of questions that I would probably ask people. And then also, obviously, like your budget. So there you have it. Some great advice about entering a career of art and design. And as more and more art and design career opportunities are on the rise, employers are always on the hunt for the next generation of talented and, of course, skilled creative professionals. At Academy of Art University, you will get those work-ready skills that employers want. You can study on-site in downtown San Francisco or anywhere in the world with our online programs. To request more information about our 40-plus areas of study in art and design, including game development, fashion design, photography, UX design, and more, just visit our website at academyart.edu slash creative mind. I'm your host, Bobby Brill. Thanks for listening.